Hello, welcome to the Cats by 90 podcast brought to you by SB Nations of Sea of Blue. Big Blue Drew and Aaron Gershon here on an action-packed episode of the podcast tonight. So it's December 16th, about 9 o'clock p.m., signing day. Had a, a rug put out from under us for the basketball game with the change now playing North Carolina. So plethora of topics to get to. Um, how's your evening going, Aaron? What's up? Hey, man. Yeah, back in Connecticut where it is absolutely snowing like there's no tomorrow and it's not even technically winter yet, but I guess we're due for it. I mean, around here, I'm not here all the time, obviously, but we've kind of been lacking with the snow game and it feels like uh, this storm alone is going to be more than we got last year. So it's wild. And the dog, this is his first snow and he's not loving it. So that's been a little bit of a pain in the ass, but otherwise pretty good. (laughs) Yeah, man, it's uh, my on par for 2020 the storm that's headed towards the northeast so stay safe up there hope we can stay inside we're like we're basically with inside christmas week now so i officially started vacation myself as of 5 30 p.m so things are looking up on that note i'm looking to just get some relaxing on this week and kind of um it's gonna be cold so i think we might have a couple <laughs> nice days sli- sliding in there but we're definitely hitting into winter and just everything going on, man. I guess today we'll, we'll start with football because it was a good thing. We normally try to slide an episode in on Tuesdays, but so much freaking stuff happened between yesterday, then obviously with signing day today, and then again, the basketball thing. It was good that we waited, but mm-hmm. football, I guess we'll kind of start with the most recent and kind of work our way backwards from the, the coaching change, but signing day, I mean, anything jump out to you, Aaron, today is pretty expected. I mean, definitely it was a, a positive day overall for Kentucky. Yeah, I mean, the complaint from a lot of fans is going to be, oh, it's not the, you know, five-star, four-star guys, and that's fine. But I I was impressed with this class for a couple of reasons. One, uh, I love that they took a lot of kids from Kentucky. And I think that signals that the, you know, the level of high school football in Kentucky is getting better. And Mark Stoops made a comment on his press conference today that I agreed with is, you know, when they see the University of Kentucky playing well, it kind of takes the game to the next level in the whole state. And clearly the recruiting class reflects that. Cause if you remember a couple of years ago, they had a class with nobody from Kentucky. Cause at the end of the day, they're going to take the best players. So the fact they took seven guys from Kentucky, including, you know, Jagger Burton and Kel Crowdis are the only two four stars they signed today, uh, right from Lexington was huge. You get uh, the Dingle brothers, one of them, uh, Jordan Dingle, the tight end, uh, bitten much needed. And that's the other thing with this class. They got, I feel like, yeah, it wasn't the sexiest class, I guess you can say, but they got the positions they needed, right? I mean, a bunch of receivers with the Crowdis and Chauncey mm-hmm. Magwood and um, the other kids, uh, Christian Lewis. So they get three guys there, and then they yeah, flip the kid from one. Marshall. Yeah, that was a big one. And uh, the tight end, uh, like I said, Dingle. So it felt like they hit areas of need, and they kicked ass in Kentucky. I mean, look, eight of the top ten guys in the state uh, by 247, and not one of them is going to Louisville. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And it does, man. It's it's just evident now. And I think you've been hearing a lot of different, whether it's recruiting analysts, coaches, players, whoever, have just been touting the transformation of Kentucky high school football um, over the last, I don't know, five years to a decade, I guess. Yep. Because I know when I was growing up, they kind of tied into the offensive coordinator. We talked about this. I'm like the same age as Brian Brom, who if you were following <laughs> this, you know, he's, um, you know, works under his brother at Purdue and was a quarterback here at Louisville Trinity. And When I tell you he was as bad as it gets, like him and Michael Bush, and kind of after that, man, that was like a big era. It was kind of like we had Chris Redman, Montrell Jones that went to Tennessee, and then it was like Michael Bush and Brian Brown. But that was just a long way of saying that, like, this state just doesn't produce a lot of consistent, you know, five-star football talent. And um, kind of the same way really for basketball with size. But now in football, man, I mean, it really has – the ties have been turning quite a bit. And, you know, not only – 
are they signing a lot of players from Kentucky? But like in this case too, it was like their, you know, their best players were from yes. Kentucky. And from like a, a generalist or a holistic point of view, and from my perspective on signing day, there was no surprises. I think Christian Lewis right. was that big one. You know, all the heavy hitters were going to be coming after that kid. And, you know, he stayed true as it gets. Did you see his blue shoes, Christian Lewis? Yeah. They were, they were uh, magnificent. Those were awesome, and it tells you he's all in. I mean, you're totally right. There was definitely concern because, you know, people were all over him. He's a guy from, I believe he's Alabama or Georgia, one of the two. Alabama. Uh, Alabama, right. I knew the other receiver, Magwood's from Georgia. So, mm-hmm. yeah, they got – I mean, he's in a hot hotbed of SEC football, and, you know, he gets that SEC commitment. Other schools are going to flock to him and, you know, sell how bad the Kentucky pass game was this year. But he stayed loyal. You respect the hell out of that, and you're excited about it because these receivers you know unlike other years uh with the way this unit performed this year and you know josh ali being really i don't know if he'll come back or not i mean these kids are going to get to compete to play next year yeah i think specifically too i mean the the, i guess if there was a name that was going to jump off the paper you know besides kind of the the top guys that we knew jagger burton and stuff that were coming they were just you know locked for a long time now but with Christian Lewis, man, he's definitely a guy that is that position that everybody's sore point, you know, wide receiver, skill position, go out, make a play. That's all his, his highlight reels are, you know, is going up, making big catches. I saw Justin Rowland from Rivals put out some, some good information and kind of called attention to the fact that that kid has shown up in big games every game, like two-plus scores in all of their playoff games this season. And against both of their rivals, he just had, like, monster games. So, to your point, hella committed to Kentucky. I mean, his outfit and his blue Mustang, like everything, he was ready today. So I'm excited for that one. And I think particularly, Aaron, he's a guy that could come in and contribute next year. And, I mean, I would think that's one position, too, that that's probably, you know, harder to do than others is to go in and be, you know, physically mature enough and mentally mature enough to take on the responsibility of, of playing, you know, in the SEC. But he, he's the one, I guess, from I'm most excited about. Yeah, I agree with you. I think he's up there for me along with Dekel Crowdis, and we'll see how he pans out. Um, I've, you know, I've heard mostly positive things on him, but I've heard, you know, a couple of hesitant stuff to kind of pump the brakes on him. But you know what? Like you said, I mean, this is every guy they signed from the receiver room, in my opinion, you know, put in Chauncey Magwood and even uh, Devontae Ross, who they flipped from uh, Marshall today. I think they're all going to have a chance to compete because no one separated themselves this year, which is disappointing, but it's true. The only guy who separated himself was Josh Ali, but he's a senior and we don't know if he's coming back. And if he does come back to play college ball, uh, there's a chance it's not at Kentucky. So um, it, it was really important to lock up these receivers and uh, and the tight end, like I said, Jordan Dingle. I think that there's a good chance Justin Rigg is a guy who will use that option to come back. Um, and obviously Keaton Upshaw kind of was you know, on the surface of doing something really special toward the end of the year. So maybe that group's a little more competitive, but he'll be a, he'll be a factor eventually. That was a kid that Vince Marrow said that uh, Mark Stoops, he said it jokingly, obviously he said it was a guy that if I didn't get him here, Mark Stoops was firring me. So that tells you <laughs> yeah, it was a big that. deal. Yeah, exciting day for a signing day. So another big point to all of this side of Kentucky's, I guess I think it was 21 um, signees today. Eight of those will be enrolling early and eligible to kind of go – um, you know, practice in the spring and roll in January. And really, I mean, that's monumental, really, as far as experience, especially when you mention guys like Jagger Burton, who's in that group of eight people, you know, there's another one that could come in and immediately play. So I mean, I'm sure you agree. And that's pretty invaluable. Those guys getting to come in and, uh, you know, acclimate sooner than later. Yeah, no, it is huge. I mean, those guys will obviously get a leg up as we kind of saw with the guys who enrolled early this year to a degree. 
I mean, I'm trying to think of exactly who enrolled early in the guys. I guess not necessarily uh, did it reflect on, you know, the guys who enrolled early actually got to play. Uh, Juwan McLean was one of the early enrollees that did benefit and did play right away. But there are a couple others uh, just slipping me right now. But overall, I think the biggest thing, though, I mean, obviously the early enrollees is huge and big for these the eight ones that decided to. But the bigger thing, full picture, is as we've talked about here, Extremely young team. You know, look at the senior class they're losing this year and last year, especially on the offensive side of the ball. New offensive system with Liam Cohen. Uh, quarterback battle should be a really intense one between Joey Gatewood, Bo Allen, see if anyone else can, you know, fight in there, but probably not. But they need to get spring practice in and get as much in as possible. I don't, we'll, we'll see what COVID is. And, you know, I'm sure, you know, now there's so many protocols and we know so much more that I can't see them gutting the spring season again. But – it is vital for this team to have some sort of close to normal spring. Well, especially considering, you know, the next, you know, segue, the new offensive coordinator. So we kind of knew that was going to start wrapping up. It was almost weird to me how scripted it went. I feel like all the news that was breaking for the most part or all the little tidbits you were getting were kind of uh, proven true with kind of the, the three final candidates there. But then it comes down to the young NFL guy. You know, that's who they end up picking with. I always think it's strange too, Aaron. I wanted to start here. Like, it seems like when you're doing these coaching changes, right, it's almost like you're breaking up with a girlfriend and you're like, man, I have to get a new girlfriend by like then the next 10 days. So, like, it's inherently risky just because, you know, you only have who you have. So I was really thinking about that more during this coaching searches than other because it is such an important one for Kentucky. We've been talking about this for years now, ramping up this offense seeing if Kentucky can take the next step in the SEC East. So I'm not sure philosophy-wise, like the, the read I'm getting or, or what I feel as far as what Liam Cohen's going to bring, but I do like the comments that he made, Aaron, that was yeah. specific around, you know, he's, it's not his job to come in here and, you know, institute a playbook. It's more his job to learn his personnel and then develop plays and a strategy and a scheme around that talent. So that was pretty much all I needed to hear. Um, I'm excited. Yeah, I was really impressed with Liam Cohen yesterday uh, being on his press conference. I also asked him, too. I asked him while I was on there, you know, how important is it going to be to not only you got to take the passing into the next level, but maintain what you're doing with the run? Because for the most part, you know, Kentucky had another tremendous year running the football this year. So, obviously, if Chris Rodriguez comes back, um, this often should help guys like Cavassier Smoke and Juwan McLean, uh, the faster guys, because they're going to be able to bounce to the outside a little more rather than just going up the gut like Eddie Grand liked to do. But uh, it's really important to build off that and then also take these quarterbacks to the next level and open up the playbook. Um, and I think Liam Cohen will do that. I think that'll be a strategy. I think working under a guy like Sean McVay is unbelievable. That If you watch the Rams the last – four years, they arguably have the most exciting offense in football every year and definitely the most strategic. So I think all that, I think Cohen will do fine. Um, I think his playbook will be great and everything, but is the personnel there? That's the question. And that's something Cohen can only help with by recruiting. So you might not see that year one, year two, but you know, can he elevate the guys that Kentucky has now to the next level and whether that's on him or not, we'll see. But I think that's the biggest unknown with this guy. Um, just, I mean, look, I, I don't want to take anything away from him. I think he's the right hire. But he, other than, you know, the Rams, that's one thing. But at the college level, you know, he's coached at smaller schools where guys aren't, you know, as big-headed as these guys in the SEC who have aspirations play on Sunday. So can he elevate those guys to the next level to not only get them to that point, but to get them to help Kentucky win more games? That's the key. 
Well, hey, man, good for you. I saw your guy, Victor Cruz, from the New York right. Giants, was roommates with Liam Cohen, so we've learned right. that this week. Oh. And, uh, he's going to be on the sideline. That seems pretty apparent. They seem pretty tight, so I knew you'd be hype about that. Get him on the coaching staff. Get him <laughs> on the coaching staff. Yeah, you could at least teach him to dance or something, if nothing else, man. You got <laughs> we to prepare for these end zone dances, I guess, with these hopefully um, recruiting uh, changes from the wide receiver position. But I wanted to ask you this too, Aaron, and I know it's kind of um, something that's going to just have to be determined over time, but I like the ceiling of bringing in a guy like Liam Cohen, a young NFL mind, you know, who knows, man, you know, in 10 years, you know, where could this guy be? I think it's, it's an exciting element to it of kind of the unknown and him kind of getting a chance, I guess you could say. Um, but how much do you think Mark Stoops is really going to ultimately have influence on this offense? And do you see a scenario where it's just like a drastic change based off the philosophy he wants to bring? Or are we really going to kind of see now that Eddie Grant's gone that Mark Stoops really kind of has a, a stranglehold on the, the overall strategy? It's a really good question, and I don't know. I mean, Mark Stoops talked about, you know, after, you know, the press conference he held when he let Eddie go, he really – he's a diff- remember, he's a defensive guy, and he talked about how 95% of his focus is away from the offense, whether it be with the defense, special teams, recruiting, or whatever. I don't know how much. I think he'll have his ideas. I think he'll, you know, push Cone to open things up more, and you have to because the offense they had last year – just won't work in the SEC, but I don't know how much he's going to have a stranglehold over it. I think he's really going to let Cone go to work, and he's also going to, you know, he'll have Cone lean on the guys. I would assume Cone will have a big say on who they hired to replace John Schlarman, who they hired to replace Eddie Grant as the running backs coach, but I think he's going to keep it in their hands, and I think maybe the guy you lean on more is Vince Marrow just because he's been with the tight ends and knows the offense, I would expect, which should be fun, that is going to call the plays for the bowl game. What do you think? Have you been hearing anything else about that, Aaron? What are your um, same old thing, Liberty Bowl, potentially, yeah. or the uh, Music City Bowl? I saw today where Louisville, um, obviously, they're you know not very good like Kentucky, but they, they will not be playing in a bowl game. So that's, you know, pipe dreams out the yeah. window. Uh, my bold prediction, I don't know if it's bold, but the one I keep seeing and I, I, I think makes too much sense, uh, is the Liberty Bowl against West Virginia. West Virginia yeah. The proximity, Neil Brown, obviously former Wildcat, offensive coordinator at Kentucky, you know, doing a really good job up in Morgantown. I think that'd be a fun game too. You know, let Kentucky compete against the Big 12 offense and, you know, should be a game there. <laughs> Kentucky's offense too. Actually, West Virginia's defense is pretty good, but, the, you know, the Big 12, they don't play much defense, but West Virginia by their standards is pretty good. So I think that'd be a fun one and I keep seeing it. So that'd be my best guess right now, but, you know, who the hell knows? Not, that's not always right that's for sure <laughs> yeah I don't have a long list of schools that like I, I dislike uh, like everyone knows I don't like Indiana um, but West Virginia's on the list I'm not a not a big fan I'm still still jaded to take it to basketball from the 2010 elite eight I was gonna say and, I, I uh, figured that was that, wild. So. and then it even goes back even when uh they had those like pit snoggle teams and stuff way back when <laughs> I just I don't know I've never never been a big fan of West Virginia no, that's, I'll say that's basketball but yeah I'll say Morgantown I've been to Morgantown I don't know, a zillion oh, times it, <laughs> yeah no it, yeah exactly it's interesting <laughs> there are parts of it I really like and there are kinks of it I really like overall though it's uh 
Interesting is putting it nice. <laughs> yeah. All right, man, let's turn the page. We're going to make this a, a pretty quick episode and rapid fire some basketball stuff. And first off, it just hit me, Aaron. So we spent, I know it was signing day, fair enough, but so we're in podcast. It's almost Christmas, prime basketball time. We were talking about the CBS Sports Classic. No matter what, they switch it up. Still blue blood, blue blood, either way. And yet we spent the whole first part talking about a four and six football team with essentially <laughs> no games on the schedule. So it's, it really is just terrifying um, the, the point that this team is at and kind of what things could look like two weeks from today or, or two and a half weeks from today. But first off, obviously I was like shocked as hell, man. I just pulled out my phone and it was like, boom, all of a sudden Kentucky's no longer playing UCLA in Cleveland um, at the, I think it's a state farm arena or something like that. Instead, they just switched it to North Carolina for COVID reasons, which I wanted to ask you about, but what were your initial thoughts Aaron? Were you like blown away like I was? Oh yeah. I, I didn't really, I, I mean, I guess my initial, I, I saw it in the email and I just saw the headline of the email. I was like, what the hell? And my initial thought was obviously with this year going on, okay, there are probably COVID issues at either UCLA or Ohio state. And they decided to shift things around, but no, it's over protocols and wanting to be, you know, more similar and like, I don't Part understand is, that. Did, did you dive yeah. into that at all? Because, one, I guess they knew they were playing each other. We haven't played in so long. I don't think UCLA's played since Saturday either. So, I don't – I guess I'm, maybe I'm dumb. I don't get it. Are they saying, like, their testing days line up similarly? That's, like, I don't understand. That's the – that's my understanding. I mean, I, I didn't really – like you said, I didn't really dig too much into it just because, like, you know, I'm more interested in I mean, how Kentucky's going to yeah. – Yeah, I'm just more interested in see how Kentucky's going to fare against North Carolina and seeing, you know, the status of their team. But, uh, yeah, it was really weird. But you know what? Uh, I know we'll dive more into this matchup here, but I think <laughs> – I think either way you look at it, whether you win or lose this game, you have – I mean, look, the win, they'd need a win. Let's not get – I'm not trying to say it's okay if they lose, but I think playing North Carolina is more beneficial than UCLA for many reasons. Yeah, this – to me, it was a positive. I think I know – well, one, I thought it was hilarious that, like, such a big portion of people were just excited because they had just convinced themselves that Johnny Juzang was going to torch Kentucky – from deep on Saturday and it was just going to like twist the knife from this season. Um, so I, th I thought that was funny. A lot of people were in a sense relieved that they would not even have to worry about um, former Kentucky Wildcat Johnny Juzang torching up the cats on Saturday. But I think it's better even though I used to our North Carolina is going to be tougher to beat than UCLA, but they need a good win. I mean, there's only so many good wins left on this schedule. So I definitely see it as a net positive. And, and the other point being, it's the same as Kentucky is all the time. Like, Kentucky's going to determine whether or not they win on Saturday. Like if they play their best, they can beat North Carolina or, or UCLA. And if they come out and play like they've played, you know, for the majority of the season, then they're going to either team's going to beat them. So I thought it was better beat a ranked team and dude, the only teams North Carolina's lost to, I think they're five and two or something like that is two, Four and top, two. two top 15 teams, right? Texas and Iowa. Yep. So, I mean, they're good. Yeah, and Texas, it finally looks like the year Shaka Smart has got it together at Texas. So, so that's a, that says a lot about the Texas team that North Carolina lost to and kind of justifies it and also says a lot of what Kentucky's going to have to deal with come January. But anyway, uh, yeah, there's there's two ways to look at this one, right? Uh, you you nailed it. This is a If they win this game, it's the resume builder you need, and it should, I mean, it should be the momentum shift for the season, you would think. So I really think you win this game somehow, uh, momentum starts going up, and you get a resume-building win. Because right now, you know, you saw the first bracket come out. They're on the outside looking in, and rightfully so. Um, if you lose this game, which we don't want to think about it, and hopefully they won't, 
But if you lose this game, you play well, it's a tier one loss against a team that's highly rated in the Ken Palm. And if you could, you know, from there, limit the slip-ups, which is asking for a lot given what this team has done this year. But we've seen, you know, the SEC overall has just not been that good. So maybe you are able to play a little better than expected in conference play. Maybe you take down Louisville next week. it's not a it's not a horrible loss for UCLA. Um, they're not bad. I mean, they're five and one. They're still kind of rebuilding a little bit. I think Mick Croden's got it going in the right direction, but it, it's probably a tier two loss. So you don't want more of those because Notre Dame and Georgia Tech, especially Georgia Tech, are pretty bad losses right now. Yeah, I didn't even want to get into the must win until the very end, but I, I guess I'll just pose the question. So what do you think? I mean, if Kentucky splits the next two games, so let's say they either beat Louisville or North Carolina, they go one and one. Do they have a chance? I mean, what's their tournament chances look like? Because if they lose both, I think the ship has sailed. Yeah. On that. I mean, it's over. So Unless you go win the SEC tournament and you get the auto bid, <laughs> there's yeah, no – Run the league or whatever. But, you know, run, we were counting yeah. on all year, SEC basketball taking a yep. big step forward. And at this point, I mean, a lot of – you know, there's, there's still time for, you know, teams to improve and look better. But as of now, the SEC is not looking as good as we thought it was going to be. So I'm, the I'm best the, team, I don't want to say must win, but I think these these one of them is definitely a must win. And they really, yes, I mean, pretty much. It's very close to me saying it's it's a must win these next two games, which is terrifying because there's yeah. no indicators saying that this this team we have seen can go and beat North Carolina and Louisville no. on consecutive Saturdays. No, especially when Louisville. I mean. I'm worried about both these games, obviously, but Louisville's got all the motivation in the world to finally beat Kentucky. It's on their home floor. Obviously not exactly the same with COVID, but it's on their home floor. Three-game losing streak where two of them, they were absolutely blown out of the water. Uh, Kentucky's just dominated this series. Chris Mack hasn't gotten a win yet in it. So there's a lot lot of momentum on Louisville's side, in my opinion. And they're, they're just playing better than Kentucky right now. So there's a lot of motivation there. But, yeah, they have to win one of these games. If they go 0 for, unless they, you know, go undefeated in SEC play, which is probably not going to happen, and or win the tournament, they're, they're not making it. It's just what, it's the reality. But like you said, the SEC hasn't been what we thought it's going to be. We'll see. Last year was kind of the same thing um, where really everybody beat up on each other and not, the non-conference wasn't great. So we'll see. But really the two teams – and remember, Auburn's not even qualifying this year. They put the self-imposed ban on. So we'll see how motivated they are. But the two, really the best team in the conference so far uh, has been Missouri. They've been incredible, actually. Um, Tennessee has been pretty good. I mean, they're still developing. They're young, too. But outside of those two, and maybe Arkansas is okay, uh, the conference has been less than impressive so far. So that should give some hope if you can win one of these games, especially this one on Saturday, um, that you're able to put together a strong enough uh, season of SEC play. And if you could – I mean, if you win the tournament, all this goes to bed. But more importantly, you got to put together a strong conference play, and you got to at least, at the least, split these two here. So, do you expect any, I guess, changes, like, if, you know, minutes-wise, strategy-wise? Like, it seems like he's going to stick with Terrence Clark on the point, which I, yeah. I'm not thrilled about, but also I have, I have no really good solves for that. I think there's been a lot of speculation kind of reading between the lines in Cal's comments this week. Like, guys are going to get limited minutes. Maybe that's B.J. Boston. But, like, disgusting this week, I kind of look at man. I think he's taking 73 shots to score, like, 72 points. Um, just uh, and you kind of expect a lack of efficiency, but just coupled with all these other problems, I mean, are you expecting to really see much of a difference, at least from what Cal is trying to do on Saturday? I don't know how much you could really change. I mean, look, the second half against Notre Dame, and I don't want to get into 
uh, moral victories because this program is way more uh, than that. But, you know, that second half, they pretty much did everything we were hoping they would do in the preseason. So I, I don't know how much you really change. I think, one, you just need better play from the guys who you're expecting to be good. Like Brandon Boston, uh, he's been a disappointment. There's no doubt about it. I mean, he's had flashy moments, but overall, he's been nothing uh, close to what you needed from him. Um, Terrence Clark has been okay, uh, but I, I think at this point he's the best option at point guard because I just think Askew's not ready. Uh, and um, Mintz is, to me at least, looks better off the ball. So mm-hmm. he kind of reminds me of kind of yeah, not Mintz as good. Yeah, off the ball for sure. Yeah, he, well, reminds, me ask of, that, uh, he reminds me of Quade Green. Quade Green was so much better off the ball. Um, I was going to ask you that too, Aaron. So I put that poll up on the Cats by 90 um, Twitter page. Uh, thanks for listening to Big Blue Drew, Aaron Gershon, Cats by 90 podcast. Um, and I did. I put that up today. My, I kind of posed the question as a poll of like, would you have feel any differently if Olivier Sar shot <laughs> misses by, you know, or doesn't miss by the half an inch that it did? You know, that's yeah. the only difference in that game was about a half an inch on that shot. So would it have made you feel any differently had that sank in and they, did, and they won the game? Yeah, or ask you makes the putback in time. Right. But, I, <laughs> but, oh, yeah, it would have. I mean, look, I, I, the, the first half of that game, especially the first 15 minutes, were inexcusable. You can't. I don't care what the crowd is. And you know what? From TV, it sounded like a pretty damn good crowd for only 3,000 people in the joint. But uh, you can't go down by 24 to Notre Dame, who this is not like a good Notre Dame team. This is a very mediocre Notre Dame team who came in unranked and their only win was over Detroit Mercy by eight. You just can't do that. So that wouldn't have sat well with me no matter what. But the fact if they were able to close that out, and win it, there are two things. One, it sh- I mean, the resilience was shown, but it would be shown to another level that they literally clawed to the last second and completed the comeback. And two, it, it just changes the mood. I mean, look, these guys, you could tell they're down. You could just see when Olivier Spar- Starr spoke to the media, he was down, he was upset. You can see John Calipari is frustrated. You win, the mindset and the mood in that locker room is ten times better. Because That's what I was day, saying, too. And yeah, it doesn't matter how you win, you win. And you're going to feel at this point, I mean – for seeding, it does matter how you win. But right now, when you're on a losing streak like that with some embarrassing losses, it doesn't matter how the hell you win. Just win. Right. There's a couple ways to interpret the question. I guess you could say, you know, would, would you feel better about their tournament resume? Duh. But then um, <laughs> that was my point, what you said. Like, I, it, I, it doesn't fix any of the stuff. I mean, all the same stuff right. happened. They still got down 24. They looked like complete garbage, yep. the, you know, until the second half. But just them seeing that ball go through that net, I think just would have rejuvenated this team to a new level. They would have got some of their swag back. I think it would have took a lot of pressure off because, man, if they come out here on Saturday, especially with now all the the changes, you know, they're playing a totally different team, one of the most recognizable names in college basketball. So maybe that'll help. But if they come out and are missing shots and look tight and stuff again, I I don't know how they're going to snap out of it, you know. Yeah, this is North Carolina. I mean, this is not the North Carolina we saw last year either where they just had a really down year by their standards in part because their best player, Cole Anthony, was out almost the whole year. But um, this is a it's a massive test. Like we said earlier, it, it, this game was already going to be – I didn't – I mean, if you had to make me pick UCLA, Kentucky, I would have picked UCLA. Um, but I think it would have been a better matchup, especially because – UCLA is making the trip halfway across the country during the pandemic and everything. But – uh, yeah, this is just 
it, it, like you said, big brand, other five-star recruits on the other side, it's evenly matched. It'll be similar to that, you know, the Kansas game. I feel like those, those rivalries are kind of feel a little, have a similar feel, at least when they're playing. Um, I think the last time these two teams played would have been, was it, which year was it? I know they, I think Kentucky won. I think it was uh, Tyler Hero's year, right? Wasn't it CBS Sports Classic that year? Yeah, I think that was the last matchup. I think you covered it, right? Didn't they win that game? Oh, yeah, in Chicago. That was yeah. the Hagen's. Yeah, Hagen's. Yes, Hagen's in Chicago. Right, yeah, right, yeah. right. Yeah, that was the last time they played. So, I guess it's North Carolina playing on defense if you look at it that way. They know, always show up. Man. I can't think of, a, I can't think of a, a Calipari game where they didn't show up against North no. Carolina. <laughs> and it's all pretty much – Oh, I was gonna, oh my gosh, I almost made a golden mistake and said pretty much all positive memories, but there was a oh, well, we shot. Were, even yeah, if Kentucky you go back to – What was it, Elite 8 and 11? Oh, yeah. So, remember, yeah, Kentucky actually trails this all-time series. That tells you how they don't trail many all-time series. Just well, good. I just, I just got history. myself hyped up about the game and a little bit uh, more, yeah. more enthused, I guess, to watch what hopefully oh, will be one of those similar maybe, games where they're up and down. Yeah, maybe it gives them a jolt. I mean, look, these two teams aren't conference rivals, but they're two blue bloods. And like you said, every time they play, it's really – it's like – that's why I compare it to Kansas. I feel like when Kansas and Kentucky play, it's always – a blood blast, blood blast, bloodbath, <laughs> ugly type of game, kind of like we saw here uh, last, you know, two weeks ago, a game Kentucky probably should have won. I mean, it was just so low scoring and ugly because both teams are so into it and the defensive energy is out of the roof. So, yeah, I remember you know, actually uh, the, it might have been that time that I covered that I was talking to somebody about how much I, I love Roy Williams when I love his disposition. Oh, yeah. Everyone, you know, talks about that, but that he, he's going to get up and down the floor. He's not changing yeah. his style oh, no. for pretty much anything or anybody. And we've talked about this a ton this season because it's just so painful. But it's like, God, I wish Kentucky had more of that strategy where, like, whatever, give up 93 if you're going to score 83 or 85 or something. Like, I just, oh, man, these 55 like, to 58 games and stuff are, are so painful. So, at least yeah. if nothing else, I hope that um, things will get up and down on Saturday. Cause, and I think Roy will yeah. allow it. I mean, look at I'm, – I'd have to look more at North Carolina's roster this year, but the last two point guards he's had were two of the college, fastest college basketball players I've ever seen in Cole Anthony and uh, Colby White. Uh, so he definitely likes getting down the uh, floor, especially with the point guard. And, yeah, these games – I mean, look, Kentucky-North Carolina is unlike Kansas in this aspect. They're both heavily played, but it's usually – at least recently, it's been a lot higher scoring. I mean, just look at the Malik Monk game, um, 103 to 100. Mm-hmm. So you're not going to see that. There's no way. I think this game is probably – most going to be that 70s, 80s, maybe even in the 60s because Kentucky's defense is good enough. But, uh, yeah, I I think no matter what, I I know Kentucky's down, but this game should be close and competitive either way. Let's see. So, they're extremely balanced. I was looking at them a little bit earlier today and now. I mean, so they have four players that all average 11 points a game and then uh, a couple of really good freshmen, Caleb Love and R.J. Davis, who – R.J. Davis from your neck of the woods, like that's that. I remember um, I've, I've seen him mm-hmm. play before. I really like his game. I haven't had a chance to see him play this season except for a few minutes against Iowa, but they're good, man. They have some, some they're good, very good young players and some, some uh, you know, mixture of, uh, of veterans too. And I also find it great that so they have, <laughs> they have two players on their team named Walker, Walker Kessler, <laughs> Walker Miller. They have a Puff Johnson and Leaky Black. Like, I love it. And they're all listed at the same on there. Every, every time I'm watching their games and I hear Puff Johnson and Leaky Black, it always just, like, raises my eyebrows. Like, wait, what did they say? So, some elite yeah. names on um, North Carolina. 
Yeah, and it should be a brawl with a – is it Bot? Bot? How do you pronounce that name? Uh, Armando. Armando. I know he's good. I've seen him play. Uh, oh, his numbers at, are – yeah. He played at IMG, now. I want to say. And he's I, – I, I knew he would assimilate in college. Mm-hmm. He is a man. He is – he's a big, big load in there. And he's got he's got some finesse and skill around the basket. So, I think he fouls a lot. Um, right. To see, to well, look at it. Well, that would make – you know what? That makes for a pretty good battle if it's him and Olivier Sarr. Both those guys can't fa- stop fouling. I mean, this kid's numbers 11 points, 8.8 rebounds. And he's shooting 76.8% from the field. Uh, that's pretty damn good. So that should be it. And luckily, that's the strong point for Kentucky's team has been the play of Olivier Saar and at least uh, Isaiah Jackson's defense. You just got to keep those guys out of foul trouble. I'm excited, man. I really am. I think it's it's putting it, this could be potentially our last chance with maybe the exception really to actually get excited and you know dialed up a little bit for a Kentucky basketball game because if they come out flat and look and look like first half Kentucky against Notre Dame and pretty oh, much anything but second half, I mean it's just going to be I don't even know, man. It's going to be uncharted waters for anything. Five freaking game losing streak in the Calipari I mean, era, which is just absolutely unheard even, of. Yeah, and even the women let us down today. I mean, the school can't catch a break. It's a rifle school right now. Yeah, I know. That was a shame. <laughs> I was going to actually bring that up a little bit since we're, we're wrapping it up. But yeah, I saw the women lost a tough one. I know our, our boy mm-hmm. Zach from KSR was, was all over, and he, he could tell just kind of in his coverage today that it, they just, man, they had every Sloppy. opportunity. And, that, yeah, they just they just couldn't pick it up. But they were kind of due for one of those games. That The Indiana game, man, was, oh, it was just oh. it was an incredible matchup. Yeah, so it was. I was really lucky to go to that one. So I was kind of like expecting, I guess, a little bit. But correct me if I'm wrong, What they played DePaul – and wasn't that the same team that Louisville beat by like a million? And that was the meme of the girl yeah. crying a few weeks ago. I believe uh, so. And DePaul, but DePaul's ranked. I mean, they're yeah, not they're bad. Good. And uh, Dwayne Peavy, the AD there. So maybe mm-hmm. he was in the ear of the coaching staff and players a little bit. Yeah, right. I uh, wanted to get that one. But uh, yeah, no, look, they played a pretty good team. And that they're the right now. I mean, I want to, I want to see the men get better and I want to see a fun bowl game for the football squad. But they're the most exciting team mm-hmm. on campus right now because, you know, they're winning games. They're top 10. Uh, South Carolina is not as great as they usually are this year. So they have a chance to maybe knock them down. And Ryan Howard is the best player in the country. Yeah, it's exciting. And I keep saying don't don't wait until they make their tournament run or, you know, you find don't. out halfway through conference play how good they Especially are. Especially if the men keep sucking. Don't. It, they're, they're fun. Yeah, the style of play is awesome, too. They have some ballers. I mean, they get up and down the court, and they basically allow the girls just to, to break, you know, break down and, and use their skills yeah. on offense. They have, and they have I, different scores at different levels. I, I just really love watching them play. Yeah, and I love I loved Matthew Mitchell. I, I think the world of that guy, I think he was a great coach and a better person. I, I, I kind of like the fit of Kyra Elzey better mm-hmm. for this year's team just because they're so, you know, they finally have the, the girls in the front court to make a difference, Edwards, and um, mm-hmm. it, they needed that so badly. And I feel like Elzey's more of a tough physical coach. And you can see, I mean, she doesn't take – she doesn't take crap because she suspended Ryan Howard for two games at the beginning of the year. Uh, so I think she's a really good fit for this team, and I'm glad they ripped that interim tag off early. Yeah, it was great today to see her. She was kind of sending out all of her thank yous and stuff after being just showered with congratulations and things after, you know, accepting the the head coaching job. So that, that was neat for her to see and, like I said, how, just how gracious and humbled she mm-hmm. was. Um, to have this opportunity. And I'm also going to try to hit her up. I thought I was going to do that this week. And I'm like, oh, that's probably not a good idea. But sometime in the off season, I'm going to try to reach out and maybe see if she wants to come on the dad podcast because she's a mother. You know, we've had some yep. mothers on there. I think she'd be awesome. Uh, get the Big Blue Nation to, to know her a little bit because uh, – but that's I have a feeling that's going to naturally take care of itself over the next few weeks. And oh, yeah. 
because those girls are awesome. This is a good team to follow. So might have to put all of our faith in them after Saturday because if this time next week, uh, Aaron, we're talking about uh, what would it be, a, a one-in-five Kentucky team? Yeah, one-in-five. And they, and they have something that the men's team doesn't have, and they just have a player who you know, even when she's off, is going to get you 20 and 10. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they have a they have they can. I lo- like I said, I love watching them play. They have different oh. uh, Patterson. She's unstoppable when she gets into the lane. Oh, she's so gosh, fast yeah. in her floater game. So I, I like watching how they kind of have to feed off each other. If somebody's not, you know, not getting buckets in a certain way, they just have so many options to score the ball. Enjoy it, but bring on uh, UConn. Yeah, let's do it, man. Let's do it. Let's bring on UConn again. We have to put all of our faith in the women's basketball team, or elite. maybe not our faith, but all of our all of our uh, our fandom and our hopes and wishes at this point. But maybe next week the, the tides will turn. If that same team shows up oh. for basketball that did the last twenty minutes against Notre Dame, they're, they'll beat North Carolina. I believe that. So hopefully that's the case, man. And we will uh, we'll definitely catch up, Aaron. Be safe in the snowstorm for sure. <laughs> I will. I will.